Welcome back to another episode of Summoner's Corner. We are now on episode 11. I am your host, Will, and I am joined by my co-host, Josh. How's it going? It's going. We got another week in the books. We are getting very, very close to finals. We only have two more weekends left now. Um, it's it's winding down, and it is getting exciting. Yeah, it sure is. Um, this week, may, maybe a little bit more of a lull, maybe a little less excitement. The games were um, interesting, to say the least. <laughs> yeah, honestly, all of the games were, like, pretty stompy. There was only one, realistically, that was, like, fairly close. We had some interesting picks, though, which made them fun. So, let's get right into this episode. So, as I had briefly mentioned before our little intro music played, our theme of the week is weird picks. We saw quite a few of them. Some of them uh, made a couple appearances overall. I think one of the strangest ones overall, though, is one that came up in this first series, TSM vs. Evil Geniuses, the Nocturne top lane for Huni. So, this one had a lot of question marks around it for me in terms of its usefulness overall. What, what was your overall take on this? It, it didn't look awful. I think there are stronger top laners still, for sure. Um, and I, I like this champ a lot better in the jungle, or what we've been seeing in some of the other regions is seeing it played mid, and I think it fits a lot better in either of those roles. Yeah, so I'm very inclined to agree with you here. I think in the mid lane, it provides sort of that, like, almost twisted fate style of uh, global presence. Whereas in the top lane, uh, especially in this series, I felt like Huni was like pushing in and then just kind of sitting there, like waiting for something to happen. Or like in fights, like what, what was his purpose? And like in some, he dove the back line, but it seemed like Evil Geniuses was playing so clumped as four that there wasn't really a lot for Nocturne to do. It felt like he was just kind of like there to throw out a Q and deal like a little bit of extra damage. Yeah, I, I agree. Overall, wasn't a huge fan of it, but it was something new and interesting. I always enjoy that at the very least. Um, we're continuing to see kind of the bruiser Nocturne build. Uh, I know that you're not a fan of it. I like it for LCS. I think it just works a lot better with a uh, playing against a much more cohesive team than you would in solo queue. I will say I thought it was better top lane. Like seeing Bruiser was better to see it top lane. I I, I think the main thing is is along the lines of what you said though. I mean like it it really felt like Huni would just push in the lane and then stand there waiting for an opportunity to alt somewhere. Whereas it, when you're taking this champ jungle or mid obviously in the jungle you're all over the map so there's so many more opportunities to actually get a good valuable ultimate off and then in the mid lane it's kind of the same thing since you're typically positioned right in the center of the map it's much easier for you to respond to something happening anywhere whereas top lane you're kind of stuck only being able to do things top top jungle or if you move mid lane yeah, and that sort of leads into the last thing I really want to emphasize about this Nocturne is that at ranks 6 and 11, 
Nocturne's ultimate does not stretch for half the map. At rank 6, the ultimate goes to like try brush from lane. Uh, so it, it's really not that effective early on. Uh, and the other weakness that I think we saw with this pick overall in the top lane is top lane is the longest and most dangerous lane, I think, when it comes to ganking. Um, you have, like, if you're pushed in, it's the most stretch you have to get back to a tower. Obviously, bot lane is the same distance when it comes down to it, but being, uh... A two-person lane, that in itself just makes it much safer because you have more tools to get out. And I, I think that was the weakness that we saw with this Nocturne top, is there were many times where he would get ganked, and there's really not much he can do. He has a spell shield, which can help, and he's got a fear, but the fear works similarly to a LeBlanc chain or a Karma tether, where, like, you have to be within range of that person for a few seconds before it actually goes off. Um, do doesn't really have any like dedicated escape tools, though, which is something that we're seeing a lot of the bruiser top lane champs emphasize right now. I mean, pretty much all of the bruisers that we're seeing top lane have some form of escape tool. Uh, tanks are really the only ones we're seeing that don't care so much about that. Yeah, and I think EG did an excellent job of identifying this and exploiting it during the games where they played against Nocturne Top this series. So, let's actually get into the series. Let's get into game one here. Uh, my very first note is this Nocturne Top pick, so it was super strange to see. But the even more exciting thing for me is seeing Jizuke be the very first death of the series. To be fair, he is playing Yone, and he's just trying to hit that 10 death power spike. He is, yeah. Uh... You know, for, for people in solo queue, I'm sure you, you know about the 10 death power spike. He is just playing the champ how you're supposed to if you ask anyone in solo queue. Uh, but yeah, he just pushes the lane on the Yone. Yone is not a, a champ that actually has like a dedicated escape unless you have the Q3. Even then, it's not a very long-ranged dash that you get off of it. Uh, obviously, like the E, you can use it to get some extra movement speed and a short dash, but you're going to snap right back to where you started eventually. And, yeah, he just pushes up. He doesn't have any escape tools aside from Flash. He also doesn't really have vision. He put his ward down in the, like, banana brush, kind of to, to the side of the lane, entering into the enemy jungle. And it was a pretty free kill. Yeah, and I think this is going to be a theme sort of for this series as well, like a, a sort of a mini theme, is just Jazuke getting caught. Like, I, I think I have notes on at least three, maybe all four games about him just being somewhere he shouldn't, not wording ahead, not being aware, and getting caught out by one or two members. Yeah, and that's something that I brought up last week as our theme of the week. Um, it's a guaranteed thing that at some point Jizuke is going to int. Uh, something else uh, for this game in particular, Impact really did not look that good on Silent. Although it was different in the next game, um, we're seeing this trend of, of, for the most part, North American top lanes not understanding how to play this champ, I guess. And it's really weird, too. Like, I wonder in this game in particular if it was just a matter of TSM being so far ahead that the giant meat sack of HP didn't really matter that much. But it just seemed like he was sort of standing in the middle of four players tanking all the damage while nothing else happened and then, like, dying. 
Yeah, and I mean, that's kind of the weakness when you play a champ akin to a Scion who doesn't really have reliable CC when it comes down to it, doesn't really have any big damaging pool, damaging tools. Uh, he, he's literally just a health bar even when he's ahead. And, and that makes it so that, like, if the rest of your team isn't doing damage, you are just a health bar. Like, you're actually not adding anything no matter how far ahead you, you are. It's, I just find it interesting that, like, I, when, when Scion started getting picked in North America, I, I thought the impact would be the one, at least, to, like, figure it out sort of thing. Um... And it, it, it still just feels so strange to me that Fudge seems to be the only one finding consistent success on the champ. And you would think that in any game for Scion to shine, it would be in this game in particular. He's not up against a lane bully like Nar or Renekton. He's up against someone who plays more passive and looks for the team play rather than the individual 1v1. Yeah, I mean, I, I feel like he almost had a perfect matchup going to this Nocturne because realistically what does a bruiser nocturne do against a full tank scion he he tickles him <laughs> yeah like you cued so what it deals like 20 damage you're feared so what like nocturne hits you twice and nothing happens and you go back to farming and i, I almost feel like that was kind of a trend with this game and i've said it before but i almost feel like a trend with evil geniuses overall of impact plays this like reliable scaling top laner that like pretty much no matter what will be useful later on in the game and he's just kind of sitting there and being like guys just just play safe don't do anything crazy just relax we'll be fine in the late game let's just like make sure that we get there and we don't lose before that time and then meanwhile jizuke is giving up first blood for no reason <laughs> Yeah, and in this game, it's like most of EG. Like, most of EG is playing irresponsibly. Most of EG is out of position, is losing fights. To, to TSM's credit, uh, this game, they did win dragon fights in the river consistently. It's something that overall we've been talking about week to week, and although they're struggling with it at times, overall I think there are improvements being made. It's still not pretty most of the time, but it's better than it was... Uh, a few weeks ago i think overall this was a strong like first game from tsm like i felt like they really wanted to come out and show something and kind of get that momentum behind them and they managed to this game um and so, something else that i want to talk about kind of for this series as a whole and I, I feel like there's no better time to touch on it than game one because it's a trend that we see picks and bans uh i think evil geniuses does this i'll call it interesting to be polite. Um, they, they do this interesting thing where they ban Azir, which is fantastic. Uh, I think every single game, which is fantastic. Great job from their staff. Very proud of you. You figured out, like, the number one thing to beat TSM. Sadly, it didn't work, but <laughs> you, you, you were, like, halfway there, I think. Um, but then they also do this thing where... I, I believe it wasn't every single game. It was at least in the first two. They ban Hecarim and Olaf. But then they're leaving up Udyr. And I, I really feel like right now you have these two, 
are these three S tier junglers in Olaf, Hecarim, and Udir. And then like Lilia is kind of in that conversation, I feel. Um, and it just seems like such a strange decision to ban two of them and leave the third up when the enemy team has first pick. Because what we see happen is TSM picks Udir and then Evil Geniuses is left to pick Lilia. Leaving them, like, in my opinion, Lilia is not as strong as those other three champs. I think there's probably an argument to be made that she's on the same level, but I don't think she's quite there. And I, I just find it very strange, to say the least, that um, that they make this decision. I, I feel like it's probably not as bad if you just let them get Olaf or Hecarim, and then, like, you get the Udir. Or if, if TSM prioritizes the Udir more, then at least you have that Olaf or Hecarim to pick up as another very, very strong jungler. So I think Evil Geniuses was just, like, consciously pushing for this matchup every time, because we do see Svenskeren go four straight games on Lilia. So I think this was something they were looking for, I just don't think it worked out for them the way they thought it would. Well, well, and that's that's the other thing too, right? Like, I, I'm sure there was the conversation at some point where someone on the team, be that Sven Skarin or maybe a coach or just someone else on the lineup is saying like, hey, I think this is a really good matchup. I, like, I think it's fine if we give them the Udir and we just take Lilia and, and have that quote-unquote counter pick or, or whatever their argument was. Um but I feel like after, I guess they won game two. But then after going down 2-1, like, I just feel like at some point it's like, okay, maybe this isn't the, the option. <laughs> yeah, I definitely hear what you're saying. I, I would have liked to have seen a little more variety once they went down, like, 2-1, to one, for example. Yeah. And game two especially, Svensgaren looked fantastic on the Lilia. Uh, I feel like through the series... He didn't look bad on it. He had some Brothers Ven plays, for sure, where he just kind of ran it down for no reason, um, which is unfortunate, but as we talked about, it just seems to be an issue that Evil Geniuses has between mostly Jazuke, but then, to a lesser extent, Sven Skarin and, and sometimes Ignar as well. But, yeah, it, I, I just didn't get it. I, I wasn't a big fan of it. Um yeah, so you kind of touched on game two, so let's kind of dive into that one a little bit further here. Um, I Sorry, I have one note on game one that was like a pretty big mistake that TSM had that turned out okay, but could have been much worse. Um, very first Rift Herald spawns, EG goes and starts it up. TSM walks up, EG just kind of walks away giving tsm a free leash i don't really know what eg was thinking there but that's not even like the most egregious thing that happened with this play because tsm gets the rift herald Spika takes it and then like immediately summons it just pretty much in like the baron pit <laughs> like practically collects it and instantly pops it i have to wonder if that's either like a misclick or this has happened to me a lot jungling. I will think I have a ward because you don't always register immediately that you picked up this thing that took your ward slot. Yeah. And, and I, I've done the same thing as well. But 
when you're a professional. <laughs> oh yeah, for sure. I I just feel like that was a pretty potentially a very big misplay. Um, typically, we're seeing a lot of teams using Rift to either break the first tower or uh, just put pressure on a map so that they can like the team can move and do something somewhere else. And instead, they ju they just pop it instantly. Uh, it ends up wandering to the top lane. They still get two plates off it. It wasn't that bad overall, uh, but definitely a mistake. <laughs> I, I don't think that was intended at all. Yeah, I, I think it was just one of those like one-off things that like yeah happens occasionally. Uh, and with that, let, let's jump into game two here. Yeah, so I'll let you go ahead and take the reins on this one because I know there's something you're dying to touch on right away. And it has to do with summoner spell selection. Yep. Huni plays Camille, and he commits summoner spell sin and takes TP Ignite instead of Flash. And it does not look good this game. Nope, not at all. Actually, honestly... I thought Huni looked bad on all his Camille, uh, Camille performances. So he had two Camille games, and neither one of them did he look very good. Yeah. It, it's not a champ that he's played super often this season overall, I think. And it kind of showed. He, he he did not look very impressive on it overall. But, I mean, this game especially. He ends, he ends the game 4-8-1. I can't even, like, count the number of times that he either would have secured a kill or would have escaped without issue if he had flash. And I just don't understand at all why pro top laners are still taking Ignite. I don't care how much pressure and how much of an advantage it gets you through like levels 1 to 6 in lane, and even after that in 1v1 situations. Flash, especially on an engaged champ like Camille is like the most valuable tool in your arsenal. And honestly, at this point, look, there's something to be said for team diversity uh, as far as strategies go, as far as who you play around as like a potential carry role. But this is playoffs. You're in loser's bracket already. Like maybe we should stick a little more with what's working for us. TSM do win this series, but I really do not think Huni playing these sort of damage threats top really was impactful in a healthy way or conducive to the victory in like an overall healthy way do you no no not at all uh, i think the only quote-unquote damage threat champ that he should be on is nar because he has looked fantastic on nar otherwise i was not a fan of the nocturne not a fan of the camille i would say potentially gangplank too potentially yeah, that's fair. It, it's been a while. I'm not quite sure what he looks like at the moment on that, but it may be potential there. That's fair. Um, yeah, the, the Camille look was not good, though, and overall, this was a fucking stomp. TSM gets just destroyed in this game. Yeah, uh, th this was a pretty ugly one. This was really EG coming back uh, pretty decisively. I thought this was one of the more decisive games in this series. For sure, yeah. Um, and in this one, we see another weird pick come out. We have Jizuke on Nico. It's the second time that he's played this. If you'll remember, there was a game against Team Liquid 
that we talked about where Jizuke played Nico and Jensen played Ari. Yeah, so different tramp, but uh, second verse, same as the first. Jizuke dies to a gank pre-10 minutes, sitting in the mid lane. Yep. It, it seems like he has no concept of jungle tracking as well. That's another thing that I've noticed. It seems like he just never has any idea where the enemy jungler is. I think we're really, really starting to see teams take notice of this and then exploit it to gain early advantages. It really does seem like, right, we had that huge COG play where they all just, like, walked middle <laughs> yep. and got the 34-second, right? Like, who can forget that? But building on that, in in these past couple of weeks, when the coaches are really grinding down on the analytics for like playoff matches in particular, I think we're really seeing Jizuke's lack of awareness or lack of like consideration really be uh, an exploitation point for these opposing teams. Yeah, and uh, I was watching the good old sneaky double lift medios co-stream. And that was something Meteos mentioned when he was playing on 100 Thieves. That was something that they started to look for. Was like, like something that they had discussed and that the 100 Thieves coaching staff had pretty much like told Meteos as the jungler was like, keep an eye on Jizuke. <laughs> He's going to be out of position at some point. He's going to be late to objectives. Probably going to be a free kill. Like, when, when coaching staff is literally just like, hey, this guy is practically free farm. Just keep an eye on him. Eventually you'll get a free kill. There's something wrong. There's a major issue there. Yeah, so it basically just raises the question, how long is this going to continue? Like, this has been allowed for this split. Teams are, like, very distinctly tracking and exploiting this weakness. And it hasn't been shored up this entire time. So how much longer will this be allowed? before you know he gets the demonte treatment oh man don't even get me started on demonte that man the disrespect that man is receiving i know i we'll, we'll get into that series too we'll, we'll get into that series too yeah it, it's ridiculous though i i don't i don't understand how he is still in the lcs i don't think he deserves to be in the lcs um and, and i mean i i'm even saying that this in this game on nico he was 7 2 and 11 he was like 3k gold ahead of poe like he realistically looking at the stats had a fantastic game but these mistakes that he's making are just so major and like especially when it comes to a best of series it's something that is so easily yeah absolutely like repeatably exploitable <laughs> I really don't have a ton to say about this game. It was fairly one-sided. It felt like the snowball just got too large too fast uh, for TSM to do anything really meaningful other than to get these easy picks. Uh, yeah, I think Sven Skarin more successfully did what he tried to do in game one, which was farming top lane. Obviously, Huni not having flash made that much easier. Uh, Sven Skarin had a what was it, 82% kill participation this game. He was 5-0 and 13. He was, like, definitely the main playmaker in this game. He looked really, really good. And TSM didn't, <laughs> to say the least. They yeah. really, really struggled. Uh, their skirmishing looked weak again. 
uh, right? So in contrast, they had four dragons right away first game. This game, they get behind three to one in dragons. They look much weaker in their bot side skirmishing, the river skirmishing. Um, I, again, a lot of that's due to the massive gold deficit they fell into very early in the game. For sure. And I, I think another big note for EG's win here is deftly as well. He was seven, seven, zero, and ten. And coming in, a lot of people were like super high on this bot lane. I, I think me included. Like if we go back and listen, I'm pretty sure I, I was talking up the deftly Ignar lane. I was pretty excited for it. They looked really strong, especially coming out of the lock-in tournament. Deftly is probably the. Uh, I'm trying to think of how to phrase this. He he always plays like at any point he's just going to get one shot it seems like most of the time in games he's always like two screens away from the actual fight that's happening and in this game he didn't do that he was like actually part of fights and actually there when he needed to be actually like getting auto attacks off on people yeah i thought he had a great showing this game um i think that Trist is also just very strong and very safe right now. So maybe that sort of like jump safeness empowers him to play a little bit more forward, a little more aggressive. Not quite Melfi at ulti yet, but <laughs> you know, to the to the point where you're making a relevant impact in most of these skirmishes and fights. Yeah. Well, and I mean, for the most part, I think Deathly is just the opposite of tactical. Tactical is a guy that is like constantly looking to go in no matter who's there and, and who's there on on his team or the enemy team whereas definitely is like never looking to do anything other than farm and i i'm not sure if that's something that you've noticed but that's something that i definitely have and i know uh double lift has been really really frustrated watching definitely for for the same reason he plays so afraid all the time and i i understand that like if you don't have flash or something as an ADC, yeah, it's really easy for you to get caught out and killed. But it's it's just constant. It feels like he's never actually doing anything. This isn't something I've really paid a ton of attention to, just because bot lane is not really something I'm proficient in to the point where I, I think I can notice these things uh very well i know you play a lot of support so you kind of understand the ebb and flow of bot lane a little bit better than i do yeah keep like going forward into summer split and stuff keep an eye on definitely it's it's rough sometimes um there was actually a point in this series i i wish i would have written it down but there was a point where evil geniuses like started a team fight and definitely was so far away i'm i'm almost certain he was on the tristana this game as well where he actually, like, rocket jumped and flashed forward just to get into range to start auto-attacking people. And then, because he used both of those, he just instantly died. And it's like, just initially, there was no reason for him to be that far away, where he needed to use that much to just get into auto-range attack. It, it's it's insane. Um, let's jump into game three, though. So, game... Uh, game three was another stomp, <laughs> honestly the other way this time in a bit of a different way though so we see the nocturne top coming out again um and also in the top lane uh, another uh sort of unusual uncommon pick i have we seen this in the regular season i don't believe so 
if we have, it's it's been like a one or two of o- over the course of all the games. It's, it has not been very common. We see the Volibear top coming from Impact. Now, this is a pick that in solo queue for an amount of time was actually really, really strong. Like this was almost ban every game worthy. Uh, and I think it's been retouched and, and sort of nerfed back a little bit since then. But we really do see the uh, sort of tanky impact in this game where Volibear can just sort of jump into fights and be this massive threat in the middle of everything. Gets the ulti, gets the uh, the extra stats. What? I actually have to check what his ult does. I don't... I know he gets big. I think it just gives him a ton of bonus health. I don't think it gives him anything else. Maybe attack speed as well or something? I, I've pulled it up and found the stat here. Volibear was played twice in Spring Split. Okay, so the jump gives him immunity to crowd control, and he gains bonus health, attack range, and 35% increased size. It deals damage in an area. Okay. Oh, and he can disable turrets with it. So the top matchup goes fairly even. Uh, at 20 minutes, they're both at around 150 farm. Volibear is up about a wave, but that's really not a ton in the grand scheme of things. Sorry, the sets I was looking at were for Academy. Volibear has not been played at all this, this season. This was the very first game that we have ever seen it. Okay. Um, overall, looking at this matchup, of like the Nocturne versus Volibear. I feel like it's pretty close in 1v1, but I, I want to say Volibear wins. Volibear's like 1v1 dueling is actually so strong because of his his like bite attack. Because after you do it once, it like applies a mark, and then when when you do it on a marked target, it does like extra damage and heals you for a percent of your missing HP or max HP or something dumb like that. So I agree, but I think a practice Nocturne's kit plays very well into Volibear's sort of trading pattern because as Volibear jumps in, where he like calls the lightning and walks forward, you immediately start the fear tether, and then you have two options. You can either spell shield the initial stun and walk away while he's feared, or you can like trade with your umbrella bit uh you can trade with your umbrella blades and heal up and then spell shield the bite attack and sort of trade evenly. Yeah, it's an interesting matchup for sure. Yeah, I feel like it takes practice and it may be something that like Huni isn't used to playing against, obviously, this being the first time we've seen it. Um, this game as well, we see a very early Oriana pick for TSM. Yeah, so that sort of falls into TSM's pattern of playing for the late game, uh, the extreme late game. Uh, also, we see Lost on Zaya. It's another very late game carry. She comes online uh, with... It was a third time in a row that, that he's played it as well. Yeah, and, and she doesn't really come online till three to four items. That's where her like big damage potential comes in. Uh, to make another point off of what I was saying about Deathly earlier, he plays the Tristana here. He goes 2-3-0. and zero. Not a great showing. Also, as the ADC, he only has 16% champion damage share. That is rather low. 
So he's only done 16% of his team's damage. That is so extremely low for an ADC. I will say I thought Shizuke looked a lot better this game. I thought his Yone was uh, much more impactful in team fights. I thought his ults were good this game. I agree, yeah. It it, it didn't look awful. Um, he still overall didn't have a fantastic game. He was actually the only one uh, up gold on his lane opponent, though. Uh, it was only like 850 gold that he was up, not much at all, but it's still at least something for EG, I guess. Uh... And I mean, really, that is kind of to be expected. Like, Yone is much more of a bully early game, just being AD-based, and Orianna is much more late-game focused. She takes a long time to really get online. Uh, yeah, this is a matchup where, like, Yone, I think, should just dominate Orianna early on. Like, Orianna should be constantly under her tower, just clearing waves. I think when it comes down to it with this game, though, it was bot diff overall. Uh, like, Huni, Spica, PoE did not have bad games by any means. Huni was 2-2-9, two, two, and nine. Spica 2-3-10, PoE was 2-1-10. But we look at the bot lane and, like, that's where the big gold diff is for TSM. It was 7-1-3 for Lost, very strong performance for him. Uh, he was also up, like, 20 to 30 CS through this entire game, practically, if I remember correctly. Yeah, um, probably not early on, just because it's Tristana and she's really good at like pushing you in. But he was up 3.7 thousand gold over Deathly. Yeah, that's massive. That's like an item and a half, practically. Definitely a good showing from him, and I, I definitely like to see these games just because he is sort of that freshest member, uh, especially to playoff stages. These games are great confidence builders, I, I find. Yeah, he, he's actually looking really good. And Sword Art looked pretty good as well. He was on the Nautilus this game. 0-2-10. Uh, he had almost a 1,000 gold lead on Ignar, which is actually fairly sizable for a support. Well, he did miss a really big hook in the river, though, that kind of cost him an early game fight. I think had they won this that one early game fight, the, um, the game would have been closed out a lot quicker. I feel like their advantage would have ballooned much, much faster. Overall, like I said, this game was pretty stompy, but uh, not in the typical way. It was fairly close in kills, 13-9. to 9. But uh, TSM was pretty on top of, of objectives overall as far as towers go. Um, they took 10, whereas uh, Evil Geniuses only had 4 overall. Yeah, it felt like they were just constantly pressuring. And then if we look at the last game... Uh, this was an interesting one, I think, actually. Yeah, so we see a lot more standard picks coming out of both sides, I think. Um, aside from the Nico mid, we see that same matchup in the jungle, the Udyr versus uh, Lilia. Uh, but we see Aatrox top coming out from Impact, which I actually like a lot more. I, I think Aatrox is still really strong right now. I, I love seeing Aatrox played. I think it's a really fun champion. I really like its kit and everything. And Impact ha has looked really good on it overall, I think. And he had a good showing here. Yeah. Um, it helps when you're playing against a champ that doesn't have flash. Yeah, and, and a champ that, or a, a player that keeps overextending, like just constantly nonstop overextending. 
like Huni is playing constantly like he has Flash and then blowing his one escape tool to engage. Yeah, and overall, TSM does get the win, but it was not very clean. <laughs> no, this, this game I felt was more of a fiesta. I feel like both teams were guilty of overextending in many cases and just like playing for that extra one or two kills after they had already sort of gleamed this advantage. And it was really just largely unnecessary. And if either of these teams had played more reined in, I feel like their success rate would have been much higher. I agree. And I, I think what it really came down to for TSM was just a matter of like, can we kill deftly and then still have like damage to also deal with impact once deftly is dead? Because <laughs> both of them were massive this game. Uh, deftly on the Kaisa ended 10, 2, and 4 was uh, a full six items didn't quite get to the point where, where he sold boots or anything but was huge on this champ took the exhaust as well which i actually really like i'm a pretty big fan of of summoner diversity in, in bot lane uh i find just seeing heal every single game can get kind of stale and i i know obviously there's times where the cleanse comes out but i enjoy seeing stuff like the exhaust as well and then the other guy that was massive, like we mentioned, Impact on the Aatrox. He was 6-5 and 10. Just a menace. So hard to kill. <laughs> yeah, I will say on the other side of that, Lost played immaculately this game. Uh, the the crucial sort of game-deciding team fight at 32 minutes in the bot side. If you watch Lost specifically during this fight, he uses every single one of his abilities to stay alive and stay in the fight to deal damage, and he is the deciding damage factor in that fight. Yeah, as I said, Lost, I think, has been looking really, really clean, um, especially later on, and I think that's something that we've seen a few ADCs struggle with. I mean, two mainly come to mind with Defly just not being there to do damage when he needs to be, and Tactical with his Malphite ults. Um, I think, like, Lost and... Um, Lost and Sven are the two ADCs that are like be for for Lost becoming very very consistent. I think Sven has always been like very very consistent with positioning properly and using abilities properly in team fights and stuff. But Lo I think Lost is starting to actually get to that same level, which is uh really encouraging for TSM fans. I think, especially for such a young player too. Although I will say. Tactical came out and was the exact same way last season. And look where he is now. <laughs> I do think that TSM's coaching style is definitely less carrot and more stick if that happens, though. <laughs> I hope so. Man, it is rough watching him. Um, yeah, the, like you said, though, this game really was a fiesta. It was super, super back and forth. Uh, EG had a lead through, like, most of this game, but n were never really able to, like, explode it to a point where they were just, like, winning team fights straight up or anything. Yeah, dragons were even, towers were even. At 32 minutes when that bot fight started that sort of really tipped the scales towards TSM's favor, uh, the gold lead was under 2k. It was about one and a half K, which is a component, like, like a tier one component of a finished item. So yeah, overall, uh, 
I think there's some sloppiness from both sides. I think that this wasn't a good showing from like a a top six matchup. No, it was not clean from either side. Uh, in the end, though, like you said, we see that really clean team fight from Lost towards the end gets them the win. Um, they they're able to clean the evil geniuses up there and just push in. Yeah. So. At the end of this series, I find myself asking like a, a few questions, uh, which I, I kind of try to step back and do at the end of every series. Did TSM deserve to win this series? Not really. I, I don't really think either team played in a way where they really definitively deserved to come out victorious. Yeah, I agree. Like, they, they showed they can play without Azir carrying their asses. Yeah. But, like, picks and bans look sloppy. Hooney doesn't look very strong on non-tanks. Definitely a lot of takeaways for TSM coaching, I think. Like, hopefully that's a series that they'll take and really, like, critically review. Because if they don't, they're in big trouble. <laughs> that's that's not going to fly in, in future rounds. Yeah, like, I, I think... Uh, get, sort of getting into the second series if second series uh, 100 Thieves shows up like the 100 Thieves we saw this weekend and first series TSM from these games shows up I don't think TSM has a shot do you? no no probably not TSM did not look good <laughs> overall despite getting the win they there, there was a lot of really sloppy play and yeah getting into the next series 100 Thieves versus Dignitas I mean, boy, this did not go as I expected. Honestly, I don't even think we have to go game by game for this one. I think we can go with kind of general notes. It did not look good. Every game was more or less the same. I think the first one, yep. the most real competitive of a game mm -hmm. we saw for the series. And after this, it, it just went out the window for Dignitas. It was, it was not good. Yeah, and right away with this game one, it kind of rounds out the rest of our strange picks here. We have Dardok bringing Volibear into the jungle. We have Soligo being the only other player not named Jensen to play Ari. And kind of a side note, I feel, uh, but you also have Neo picking up Callista, which is... She was played a bit like through, through the spring split earlier on, kind of through like the early to mid weeks but it hasn't really seen too much play other than that, aside for. Uh, aside from Neo playing it. He seems to really like this champ. It seems to kind of be a comfort pick for him. Uh, he's played it five times overall. He's 4-1 and one on it. So, like, overall, <laughs> a winning record for sure. Uh, and he didn't look bad on it here, either. Uh, I will say Dardoch looked really good on Volibear early on, but then kind of just useless as the game went on i felt yeah it just kind of fell off it ne never really got to that massive threat point mm -hmm. uh wh where it can kind of snowball to uh it's interesting that the volibear was played this week as well though because he's actually getting nerfs i think or sorry he's actually getting buffs i think they're live now uh but they were not on the current patch for uh for playoffs here so I'm interested to see if this is something that gets picked up a bit more next week. 
Yeah, we'll have to wait and see for that one. One thing's for sure, it will not be Dignitas playing them. Yeah, Dignitas just gets obliterated. Yeah, so in this first game, they're actually keeping it close. They do go up three dragons to one. They do have a win condition uh, at one point, but their team fighting just kind of falls apart for them. And FBI this series actually looks really good. So does Someday. Someday's NAR was so massive this series. Uh, especially in this first game, there are a lot of really close fights where it's very back and forth. It's like 5v5 goes down to 3v3 and like people are falling off. And it always seems to be Someday who gets that extra pick, who puts in that little bit of extra CC or damage and really tips it towards 100 Thieves' favor. Yeah, it felt like it was lock-in slash like first three weeks of regular season someday as opposed to like last five weeks <laughs> of uh regular split someday he looks he looks really good uh he played it in the second game as well uh, just another dominant performance it was actually the exact same top lane matchup some uh someday on nar against fake good on game pl gang plank uh one question i did have coming out from game two for this series is the mechanics with Thresh's Lantern and Wards. This came up in the TriCast on Doublelift stream. What's your opinion on this? Uh, just like how the interaction works, where if you put a ward down, you can't take Lantern. You, you, you can block the Thresh Lantern from being clicked, yes. I honestly really like it. I feel like for an ability that's that strong, there should be some form of counterplay. So... I, I, I like that they're, like, if you're good enough and, and if you're, like, quick enough on the reaction time and stuff, I I am a fan that you can stop that, that you can block it. I'm of the same opinion. I, I just kind of wanted to get another take on it because it was sort of met with mixed reviews from the casters. Uh, I think Medios thought it was cheesy, but the AD carries thought it was okay, which is like kind of AD carry bias, you know, like sneaky and double if both get saved regularly by this mechanic. Um, yeah, I, I, I think it's in sort of... Yeah, I, I mean, I feel like they just firsthand have a lot more experience with how uh, like OP that ability can be overall. So Yeah, and, and then Medios obviously having kills like yoinked away by Thresh. Uh, on, on ganks. I, I can see how it's very polarizing. Yeah, I, I like it, though. Game 2, we see Saligo play the Ari again. Uh, I don't know why. I also don't know why Rioma is playing for 100 Thieves, but it looked good, unfortunately. <laughs> I mean, honestly, the first two games, he looked just okay on Orianna. I don't really think I saw anything too special. Like game two, uh, just looking at the final story, he's like 4-0-13. So he participated in a lot of the kills, more of a supportive role. Again, it's Orianna. You don't really see too much damage coming out until later in the game. Um, he did look really, really good in this game three, though, on the Zoe, uh, which is another sort of uncommon pick. We haven't seen a ton of it, but his uh, bubbles over walls were just insane. Uh, there, there were a number of times where I was looking and it's like oh they're chasing like maybe they'll get it and then this bubble just comes over a wall like seemingly from nowhere it's like oh he's he's seed yeah he's definitely dead now 
Uh, and I'll, I also just pick straight up like throwing bubbles in someone's face in fights. Uh, it was all very well played by Ryoma. So shout outs to him. I Definitely looks like he's very practiced on that champ. Yeah, and, and you know, I have been critical of him uh, for the past couple of weeks. So when he does have a good performance like this, I do want to sort of highlight it and shout it out. Bring back Demonte. Just because, you know, I, I don't want to seem overly biased or anything. I think it's pretty safe to say that Dardoch looked like absolute shit in this series. Agree. Yeah, well, I I mean, you get to game three and you're down 0-2 and you have Dardoch on your team. like. Uh, and I think that like really showed through because their games became progressively worse as it went on. Like game one, relatively close. They kind of like just didn't play team fights correctly later on. Game two, it was like, uh, okay, Dignitas, what are you doing? And then game three, it was very clear. It's like, okay, they're just tilted out of their minds. They just looked so desperate. They took every fight that they were offered. Very few of them were actually smart fights to take. They got caught almost every time. You know, at Harrow, they were 1-7. and seven. At 18 minutes, they were 1-12. and 12. There's no coming back. You, you just have zero chance at that point. And I, I think that's an issue that we'll see for this Dignitas team for a bit, because overall they're young, right? Um, they've got Fate God, who's straight out of Academy and everything. Um, he played, like, a little bit last season, replacing Someday on 100 Thieves when they benched him for reasons. Um, but, like, it's still a very young player, um... You obviously have Dardoch, who is notorious for tilting. Um, Neo is still pretty young as well, if I'm remembering correctly. Um, I will say it's kind of funny that that's something that's brought up again. Was benched on a hundred thieves for reasons? Question mark. Right, like like Medios kind of got that treatment. Yep. <laughs> Monte is getting that treat yeah like, like doesn't really make sense but it happens for not quite sure what's going on there but whatever whatever reason yeah like neo is pretty young he just came into the league in, in 2018 or like started playing on a competitive level in 2018 um saligo does not have like a ton of lcs experience overall really the leader and the kind of rock for this team is aframu you know, like, Afromu, I feel like, kind of has that persona of being, like, the really cool, level-headed dude. But then when you've also got Dardoch on the same, same team, I feel like that almost just gets cancelled out. Yeah, it, it's definitely very uh, opposite personalities there. Also, the big thing is, like, Dignitas is also a no-import team. And, like, it does kind of bring up that question. Like, okay, yes, they're top six here. Clearly on the bottom end of that top six, what happens if we bring in two much more mechanically proficient players? Or what happens if we explore other options with players? In particular, uh, their academy uh, mid laner, I believe, is Froggen. Really? I thought Froggen was just, like, quote-unquote retired no lcs 2020 summer oh that's that's 2020 so maybe he's not this year i'm just looking here 
Yeah, I don't think he's currently signed with any teams. Previous Midlander of Dignitas. Okay, so he's a free agent, but he's also an NA uh, resident. He was sort of grandfathered in. So there's someone who like is also mechanically proficient, who is also a veteran in the game, who doesn't take up that import slot, right? Who will just play Anivia and make sure that games go on for an hour. I mean, look, you already have someone sitting there on Oriana. If you're going to have someone sitting there on Oriana, you may as well have bigger zone <laughs> control anyways, right? Yeah. And also, Anivia is, like, pseudo-meta right now. Like, we have seen Anivia uh, look strong right now. No, I, I, I see what you're saying, and I, I definitely agree. I Like, looking at Dignitas's roster and stuff, um, there's two main names that I would like to see replaced for Dignitas I think that being Saligo and Dardoch like Saligo has not looked good I think um, he he's obviously had like some standout performances here and there through this season but in the grand scheme of things I feel like there are better options out there and then uh, obviously like, Dardoch is kind of really polarizing because I feel like he's almost like the face of Dignitas right now and everything. And, uh, you know, al although it wouldn't be the first team that we see to bench the face of their team, Cough Cough 100 Thieves, it, it, it can be hard to decide if that's, like, actually the right decision for you. But when it comes down to it, I I would love to see a Medios fill that spot. <laughs> I don't know if he would, but... Uh, and the other three, I think, are, like, actually really, really solid uh, like North American talents Fate God has looked really really good so far and especially since he's so young uh, Neo looks incredible um, obviously like there's times where he struggles but that comes with being still fairly young and stuff you're not going to play perfectly every time and then you have the veteran in Aphromoo who's like very solid he's looked really really good through this season as well I think yeah I really agree I, I think that they just sort of need some shoring up there's nothing really wrong. They're just not quite there. And I feel like when you're in that position, you really do have to look critically at what your weakest points are and sort of do something about that. Actually talking about this game three, uh, Closer was a, a menace, to say the least. Yeah, Closer was huge. He was just insane. He played the Hecarim. Um, even going the full tank builds, getting the, the turbo cum tank, the force of nature, and the dead man's plate. He goes 10, 0, and 9. Yeah, massive carry performance out of him. Massive, massive carry performance. And yet he wasn't even the biggest gold diff in this game. It was FBI. He was 4, 1, and 8 on Kaisa, but he had a 50 CS lead. FBI killed it this series too. FBI was doing so much damage in every fight. Kaisa really seems to be a comfort pick as well. He looked very, very comfortable on the Kaisa. Yeah, he seems to like that champ a lot. Um, I don't really have a whole lot else to talk about this series, though. It was... Uh, I'll, I'll say, if, if if you're listening and have not watched the series, if you're a Dignitas fan, maybe just skip it. Yeah, it's... It wasn't pretty. It, it was not a good showing. No. Not at all. So, predictions for next week? We've got a couple uh, pretty exciting games, I think. Yeah, so we're getting into top four now, and I think these are some really 
good matchups, potentially very telling matchups as to where teams are uh, in comparison with each other right now. Yeah, the first series, which is going to be taking place on the Saturday, is going to be Cloud9 versus Team Liquid. The rematch that everyone's been waiting for, I think, since lock-in. So, I know this is kind of a loaded question, but who do you have in this game? And by how many games? Attempting to be as unbiased as possible, I have Cloud9. Uh, overall, <laughs> they have just looked far more dominant, I think. Team Liquid has very clear issues with their roster right now, whereas I don't think Cloud9 has that quite as much, aside from, like, they get out drafted sometimes, but still win anyways. <laughs> whereas Team Liquid, like, actually just has a player who's running it down practically every game, so... And how many games do you think is it going to take C9 to close this one out? See, I, I think that's a tough one. I think they look so strong right now. I have them at 3-1. I think TL can take a game off of them, but their level of dominance and the level of pressure and the cohesion in team fights that they apply is just so far above anything else we've seen in North America. I really do not think that even TL being uh, what I would consider the second place team in terms of strength in NA right now, are really going to touch them that much. Yeah, well, and the issue with playing against Cloud9 is there's so many different variables you have to keep in mind. Like, if, if you ever let, like, a Kaisa or an Olaf slip through uh, and into Cloud9's hands, you've probably just lost the game there. And further, furthermore, not even picks and bans. If you let any one of those players get ahead, yeah, I feel like it's just game over. And, and, like, that's the other thing, too, is, like, you have, I feel like, a lot to consider in the draft. There's a, there's a lot of variables. Cloud9, overall, as a team, has a pretty damn deep champion pool. Um, we've seen, like, a, a lot of their players have success on quite a few different champions. And so, like, it's almost impossible. Like, it, it actually is impossible, I think, to actually just, like, effectively ban them out. You're always going to probably let at least one thing through that you don't want them to have. And then from there, when you're actually in the game, it's a matter of, like, trying to fend the fend off Cloud9's early game. Because they, they play so well in the early game. Like, it, it seems so easy for them to actually, like, get a lead. And then, as you said, as soon as one person is ahead, they they play with the lead so incredibly well. Yeah, so I think there are two main things TL can do to sort of combat this prowess by C9 and get themselves advantages. And I think if they do these things, they have a chance, but I do still think C9 is heavily favored. The first of which is pressure bot early so that core JJ can roam. I think a lot of their really decisive plays and victories has come out of Core JJ sort of being unlocked and able to roam. I think this is going to be really difficult against Sven bot lane, but I think it's a key factor uh, that TL needs to pull off. I, I think I'm going to flip it on you here a little bit. Okay. I, I, I think that with how strong Cloud9's bot lane has looked and with how Tactical has been playing, I think if Team Liquid is able to go even in bot lane, that's really big. I, I think as long as Team Liquid is not 
falling behind bot lane, I think they're in a good spot. And I think the place that they should be focusing is top lane. Because Fudge is still a very new, inexperienced player who we see still making mistakes. And Alfari has just been one of the most dominant top lanes I think North America has ever seen. If not the most dominant top laner North America has ever seen. Yeah, he's been on a rampage. Um, I think if you get him on a Gangplank or a Gnar, even like he's had standout performances on like Kennen and some other like fringe champs. I think if you get him on a champ that's able to like be strong in a split push, but also be able to come into team fights and just dominate. And if you're able to get him ahead, I think Team Liquid, like I, I feel like that's probably TL's best chance at getting a win. That and not having your entire jungle stolen by Blabber. But good luck trying to do that. And that was the second thing on my list was just <laughs> Blabber is a huge bully in the jungle and that needs to actually be responded to. I think we've had two or three games now where we've seen Blabber walk in, take three camps, and the opposing jungler is just sort of standing there with his hands in his pockets like, like laners, can you can you come do something like blabber immediately gets the level advantage and then just steamrolls there's nothing the opposing jungle can do well and and i think that's just part of cloud nine's strengths as well because their lanes are all so strong uh outside of of top lane sometimes like mid and bot are so consistently strong and typically like they very easily just gain control of the lane and make it like really hard for their opponents to move at all that it, it allows blabber to to do that kind of thing so yeah it's definitely going to be an uphill battle either way for team liquid i also think just one thing really quick i also think that's why a focus top lane for team liquid is also potentially really good because i think as far as top laners go Elfari has the biggest like jungle effect i think he is really really good at both tracking the enemy jungler and like responding to things happening in the jungle around him yeah we'll definitely have to keep our eyes open for that as for my prediction because i haven't said it yet yeah go for it this is where my bias might show a little bit i'm going 3-0 for cloud nine wow wow that is brave unless team liquid bans tristana and doesn't let tactical play it <laughs> banning their own champions out that's so funny <laughs> uh let's get into this next series tsm versus 100 thieves um this is one that like a few weeks ago looking at it i probably would have gone like yeah tsm is just gonna stomp it's probably not gonna be very fun it'll be similar to what we saw with the 100 thieves versus dignitas series but like the other way around now after that 100 thieves dignitas series and after the tsm versus eg series I am not so sure. <laughs> I am also not so sure. I'm definitely not confident in TSM in this series. However, I still have them 3-2. But, like, if the exact same teams in, inside of a vacuum from this week show up, I think 100 Thieves just takes it. Well, and that's the thing. Like, are we getting the someday and closer from the last few weeks of Spring Split? Or are we getting the someday and closer from like lock-in tournament and the series against Dignitas I think those are like really really big question marks because otherwise I think most of their players have been like very consistent those two are really the main 
question marks recently. And it's going to be a question mark against a question mark because Hooney also this week comparatively to the split, right? Like, like Spika has at least been consistent. He he hasn't really had any terrible performances for like, oh yeah, he's being a detriment to his team. Hooney in the EG series was not helpful. <laughs> yeah, like I, I think he looked okay on the Nocturne overall. I again have sort of two win cons for TSM here. Number one, Hooney plays a tank. Not great still. <laughs> I don't care if it's a bruiser. I don't care if it's Renekton or nar or or gragas something with an interrupt that's safe that he can respond to ganks with yeah you want him on like a frontline champ and then the second thing is better skirmishing in the river we touched on it they looked very very good game one this series but yeah. my god they still don't have it down and it's playoffs man like consistently mm-hmm I think that's kind of a thing with 100 Thieves as well, though, in these past few weeks. Uh, not necessarily, like, around River specifically, but just in team fights, They have faltered a lot against Dignitas. They were insane in team fights, which is why, like, it's such a question mark, I think. Because, like, what 100 Thieves are we getting? Going off of recency bias, I, I feel like I have to take 100 Thieves 3-2, though. They looked so, so good. I mean, just thinking to that closer fucking 10-0-9 on full tank Hakarim. That is insane. Again, to be fair, I don't think it's ever going to get to that point with TSM. That was a game three. That was Dardock tilting off of the face of the earth. No, for sure. Uh, But yeah, I definitely think <laughs> the jungle matchup yeah. is going to be key to watch too. I think Closer has definitely been peaking uh these last couple of weeks he's definitely looked very strong if we see this the the nar someday that we saw in, in the dignitas series where he was just a menace um against the huni that we saw <laughs> in the eg series where he's not taking flash on camille and playing bruiser nocturne top like uh, just based on these recent games i feel like i have to go with hundred thieves but it's going to be close. Like this, this is going to be a good series. I think. I think both both of these will be pretty good series overall. Overall, although I took Cloud Nine three zero, um, I I feel like even if it ends up three zero, it's not going to be a hundred thieves versus Dignitas three zero. <laughs> if you know what I mean. Yeah, yeah. I definitely think for competitiveness, though, this is going to be our series of the week. If you only have time to tune into one series this weekend, tune into this one. Yeah, yeah. I'm. I'm excited to see Cloud9 play again, <laughs> for sure. Uh, that's going to do it for this episode of Summoner's Corner. Thank you so much for listening. If you want, you can follow me on social media on Facebook and Instagram at WillRollingOnAir, and I'm on Twitter at WillRollingLive, which is also my Twitch. I stream on there every so often. Mostly been D&D streams recently, but uh, hoping to actually pick up some PC games again and, and play them on stream. Josh, where can we find you? Uh, you can find me streaming occasionally on twitch.tv at twitch.tv slash snapcaster13. Awesome. Thank you for listening and stay safe.